Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. I can't wait for you to hear from my guest today. Let me share a bit about him. He is a behavior scientist who, for over 20 years, directed a Stanford University research lab where he spends about half his time. The other half is teaching and innovation in industry. His influence is far-reaching. To give you a little idea, one of his students went on to found Instagram. In 2002, he wrote a book called Pervasive, I'm sorry, Persuasive Technology on how computers can be designed to influence our attitudes and behavior. With hindsight, we can say he was ahead of his time um, as the book was mostly ignored when it first came out. His predictions and warnings about persuasive technology were surprisingly accurate. And after studying behavior for over 25 years, he's aggregated his models uh, and models for what he calls behavior design and published a book that was not ignored and is a New York Times bestselling book, Tiny Habits, which we'll be learning much more about. From 49,000 miles away in Maui, Hawaii, where he's an avid surfer, Welcome, BJ Fogg. BJ, I'm grateful you're joining me on Say It Skillfully. Molly, aloha. Thank you for inviting me. Really my pleasure. And the only thing that would be better is if I were interviewing you in right Maui. Here. <laughs> it could have happened. happened. We, we might have to make that happen. Future. Next show. Yes, next show. <laughs> so as inspired as I am by the genius, and it is genius of your tiny habits work, I am even more uh, impressed by your personal journey of hmm. finding yourself and creating a life of meaning and impact. Uh, listeners are used to hearing me say that it's the struggles that define us. You know, while at a glance, it might seem like a red carpet rolled out. I know that wasn't the case, especially as oh. you were growing up. Yeah. Um, so to start, I appreciate you taking us through your journey uh, the key people, events, experiences oh that helped you become who you are today. Oh my gosh. Well, let me start where I've never started before. And I'll start with Donna McClellan. Donna McClellan in Fresno, California was, so I, I was raised Mormon. I grew up in the Mormon tradition in California. And in the Mormon culture, there's this thing called primary, which is like church for kids during the week. Okay. There's a lot of church stuff going on in that culture. And Donna McClellan, when I was eight, was my primary teacher. And she was so kind and so caring and just, just like this person, you couldn't believe how perfect she was. And I just loved being in primary with her and having her be my teacher and on and on and on. And that relationship continues until today. So we're talking 50 years later. And I acknowledge her in my Tiny Habits book uh, in the acknowledgments, but also the, the, at the beginning where I dedicate the book to everyone who has inspired me to explore. And Donna certainly would be that. So not only did 
she asked hard, interesting questions, and she was just so supportive. But here I had this person that was so kind, yet so effective. And I think in some ways that shaped me of how powerful somebody can be in your life who is skilled, but also very, very kind and supportive. And so I just really want to shout out to Donna McClellan for um, helping me see potential. And I really aspire to that. You know, how, how do you, and sometimes I guess you have, have difficult conversations that are not, they don't feel kind, but ultimately they are. So maybe I'll start there. Certainly Mormonism influenced me a lot. Growing up in that culture was all about behavior change and self-optimization. So it was just kind of in the, the air all around me. Um, fast forward, um, was a terrible writer, studied really hard, really deliberately. I would sit down with uh, my professors after every paper, and they probably either loved it or hated it. And I said, okay, tell me how I could have done better. So I really studied and worked very hard on my writing until I became a writing tutor and eventually a professional writer. I wrote my way a lot through college, my writing and editing skills. So kind of... You know, there's many things I've not done a good job at, but I turned writing from a weakness to a strength. And then that led to rhetoric, my interest in rhetoric and language, and that led to a number of other things, ultimately to looking at or anticipating, I guess, that these things we call computers would be designed to use rhetoric or use persuasion, and they could influence our behavior for the better which is what I was really interested in when I went to Stanford as a doctoral student and became an experimental psychologist running true experiments, looking at how computers could influence our attitudes and behaviors and framing it up and hopefully trying to help people see the positive side of that, but also addressing the negative side and pointing out. And then that um, led to a research lab at Stanford where we continued to look at aspects of persuasive technology, including in 2006 doing a formal testimony to FTC about the dangers that we first saw coming. And then in about 2009, our interest in persuasive technology faded and mine and my lab members were just more interested in human behavior and especially habits and health habits. So there's a pretty big shift. And to mark that shift, the lab then became the behavior design lab. So we were looking at different things. And that's what the book Tiny Habits brings together in some ways is this is this thing called behavior design, a new way to think about behavior, design for behaviors. And the primary method in the Tiny Habits book is the Tiny Habits method. So that would be, I guess, kind of a run through of background. And it's, it's, it's really... I think very, very relevant that, you know, here I had this wonderful Donna McClellan, this great teacher of my life and other teachers, but I'm going to call her out specifically. And that kind of way of being plus, wow, there are ways we can systematically design habits into our life. And I like to think that Tiny Habits brings both of those together. I love, love, love it. And we are going to come back to Tiny Habits because we have to unpack that for listeners because this is a huge game changer for people in their lives. Hark back to as a young person, um, what would you say to young people struggling to fit in, experiencing bullying? Did you always feel like you fit in? (laughs) No, (laughs) no, I think I know where you're going with this. Um, 
I did, I did good up till sixth grade. And then after that, it got crazy, uh, especially middle school. And it's probably true for most, but I just felt so not in my place. And then in high school, I, I started swimming competitively and I happened to be good at it, weirdly good at it. And so kind of found my group there with the swimmers, water polo players who also all of them happened to like studying and everything. I don't know why there was a connection between swimming and high performing students, but there was. So I found my area, but what was so hard for me. So yes, I had some close friends and things I would do besides study all the time. Um, but my voice, my speaking voice did not change. And so I, I didn't grow till really, really late. I'm six, three now. Oh. Uh, but I remember being thinking in the entire uh, let's see, it was probably ninth grade, so not quite high school. I am the second shortest person out of like 500 students in my class. Wow. And I used to be, and my friends would call me squirrel. I was tiny. And then my voice didn't change. So I finally grew uh, a little bit, but still my voice didn't change. So I had this really weird voice. So my voice was like this. Even I had no, I had no low register. And that as I you know, certainly 16 and 17, that got really awkward socially and very painful. And so that had a really big impact on me um, in terms of me speaking up in class, me not running for student body president, because guess what? The student body president has to make speeches. So I ran for vice president. I didn't have to make speeches and so on. It just, it just was a, a, a constraint on so many things I wanted to do. And yeah, I got teased by it. Not so much by my friends, my close friends, but people just thought I was really weird. And some people thought I was just faking it or trying to be it. And, you know, looking back, it was, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. It was like, my body is betraying me. Why is my body betraying me? And I would feel either put down or ashamed for something I had no control over. It was that betrayal and that sense of I don't have control. And of course, people my age and sometimes even adults wouldn't understand and be very uh, helpful. And that lasted until I went to college. There was a, you know, I still didn't have a lower, comfortable lower register until well into college. And still now my voice is weird. But that was hard because I so identified like who I am and how people perceive me with my voice. I just couldn't separate the two. Um, and so that gave me, um, and that's good and bad. I'll stop there. So that was hard. You know, that was hard. That's seriously hard. How, okay, so you didn't let it define you for who you wanted to be. And I'm just wondering how, cause that's, you know, he's in back. I mean, it's, I feel the pain and I just, you know, kids, I remember it's kids can be mean. Okay. They're not bad yeah. people, but they can be really mean. So I get that. And how do you think you, it be your parents. I mean, how, what was the support system so you could preserve mm -hmm. a sense of self and worth, you know, cause I could imagine really going <laughs> off a cliff, you know? I, well, I'm not sure. Um, I don't have a great answer for you, Molly. I think it was painful. I did get teased. There was a moment where, I mean, I think I was a nice person. Uh, and so, you know, I, got, I won an award from the, you know, the girls club of being like, you know, the guy of the year. And when I went up to get it, all the football players in the audience would go, 
that, and this was painful. They said, faggot, faggot, faggot. As I walked up to get the award, nobody did anything about that. But that was, you know, that was 1981. That was a different time. And so that is really painful. I think what got me through was I was good in some other things. I was good at school. I was good at swimming. I had my close friends for that. And I, you know, the fact that I was good at school and I was good at other things helped me uh, not feel, feel like I was a total reject, I guess. And so I really emphasized those other things. I really excelled in school. I became an all-American swimmer in high school. So I just doubled and tripled down on the things I could do well. Yeah, that's crazy. That's great resilience. And I know we wouldn't wish it upon anyone. Obviously, it's helped define who you are and created a lot of strength in yourself. So folks keep the faith um, for the tough stuff yeah. that young people go through. You, before we go into the tiny habits, because I really want to unpack this for all the listeners, you know, I, I'm curious, the whole um, persuasive technology, because you can see, because technology is technology. It's not by it's on its own good or bad. And I'm just wondering your feeling about, oh my gosh, did I, when you were involved with technology, did you create something that was corrupting for people? Did you ever feel any angst, you know, for having a role in, in products that may have, you know, not to anyone's fault, but have negative impacts on people? Yeah, I think, I mean, the main thing I taught was simplicity make things really, really easy to use. So despite what people have said that there was a big playbook and all these people learned this playbook from me and went on and created stuff, my playbook was mostly make it really easy to do because I recognized early on that simplicity changes behavior. Simplicity was a thing, the common pattern and everything that was winning when it came to technology, except for games. And I wasn't involved in games. I didn't care about games. So um, the thing I regret is not doing, yes, the persuasive technology book came out and it starts with the ethics and it ends with the ethics and so on. And one of my lab members at one point said, we should do a manifesto. And I was like, oh, that sounds a little dramatic. Well, I thought, I didn't say it. That sounds a little dramatic, a little big. You know, I've already written about this. I've run conferences on this. I've uh, done academic publications on this. I, we've done our piece here. And I regret not stepping up like she suggested and doing something that was more public facing and some type of manifesto. So that was, and that haunts me a little bit because in all of our lives, we look back and go, what more could I have done? And I think we could have done that pretty easily. And it would have, I don't know if it would have changed where we are right now with technology per se, but I think it would have helped signal to people that I'm clearly on the side of putting technology in its proper place and not having technology um, control our lives or undermine what we want. So just, I think it would have been a clear signal yeah, that I, bam, BJ Fogg is on this side, not yeah. on the other side, like some people have assumed. Yeah, I appreciate that. And folks, we all have things that, you know, if we had maybe a chance, we'd do differently. And I think it's just great to be honest and upfront about that. So I thank you, BJ, for doing that. Um, okay, so I went through the book <laughs> and I love the fact that you read your book, which is a very big deal, I know. And so would you kindly take folks through Tiny Habits, unpack it for everybody because it really is this game changer in life. Yeah, so there's... <laughs> The, the book is 300 pages, and it could have been much longer, but 
you know, there's kind of a limit. And so there's a lot of stuff that didn't end up in the book um, that will come out in future books or when people train with me personally, they learn it. But I'm really happy with the decisions that my teammates and I made for what is in there. It's basically a book about behavior design. Now, you'll remember that was what we renamed my lab back in the day. And we searched a variety of names and we came up with this thing that we called behavior design to describe a new set of models around human behavior. And you'll find some of those models in my book, Tiny Habits, and a new set of methods for how you design. So it's models and methods. Models are ways of thinking. Methods are ways of designing. And these things work together. And so in Tiny Habits, and it's one of the first graphics in the book, it's like, okay, you know, here's models, here's methods. And that builds through the book where... When I talk about a model that goes on the list, methods goes on the list. And the primary method there is tiny habits. Um, tiny habits is a method that I stumbled across hacking my own behavior, figured out by accident, like a lot of things like this, <laughs> um, in 2010, where I was uh, feeling like my health was going downhill, that I wasn't um, and I'm super stressed. I wasn't sleeping well. All these things were going wrong at once and other issues, larger family issues. And out of desperation, I guess, and oh, I guess a little bit of fear. Like if I don't turn the corner now, I'm not going to turn the corner. Mm. Uh, I started hacking my own behavior and, and figured out this way of creating habits quickly and easily. And it just was a game changer for me. It's like, and in 2011, early 2011, I started teaching it for free. And I just thought a few people, just, you know, join me. And I taught it through email, created a five-day program. And then hundreds of people started joining week after week after week. And it's continued ever since then, which I would <laughs> never, never expect it. So I personally coached over 40,000 people through email. Um, and then now I have uh, a number of certified and trained coaches who use the five-day program to help hundreds of people every week, thousands of people a year. And so the method is essentially this. So yes, you can go do the free five-day program and you can read about it in my book and you know, do both. It'd be terrific. It's essentially this. You take any habit that you want and you make it really, really small. So instead of two push-ups, or instead of 20 push-ups, <laughs> make it two. Or if, if two feels hard, just make it like two counter push-ups or two wall push-ups. Make it so small that it doesn't require much motivation. And that even when you're in a rush or not feeling good, you can still do it. Um, and then there's a way you sequence it into your life and it follows a format. And before I explain that, I guess technically, let me just give some examples. I'll just give them of my morning. Here, here's how it goes. After my feet touch the floor in the morning, I will say, it's going to be a great day. After I pee, I will do two push-ups. After I walk into the kitchen, I will fill a glass with water. Now I drink the glass of water, but the habit is just to fill it. Um, after I get my surfing bag together, like I put water and stuff in it, coffee and whatever, I will use my bulletproof vibration plate to loosen up. <laughs> <laughs> After I step off the lanai, I will put on my mask because we're wearing masks here now. Um, after, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. After I get to the water's edge and I'm looking at the waves, I will pause 
and give gratitude and recommit myself to doing the most good in the world that day I possibly can. And so on. Then when I come in from surfing, as I'm picking up my board, I will pause and give gratitude and say, bam, now the day begins. And so these things, after I, I will, after I pee, I'll do two push-ups. After I brush, I'll floss one teeth. We call that a recipe in tiny habits. And so what you do, once you make the behavior super tiny, like two counter push-ups, then you say, where does this fit? What does it come after? And that's how you design it into your life. So the, the method isn't about willpower at all. And it really doesn't require much motivation. It's design. And so you, so you say, okay, well, maybe after I start the coffee maker in the morning. So after I start the coffee maker in the morning, I will do two counter push-ups. And there you have it. So that's your tiny habit recipe. If it doesn't work very well, revise it. That's why I call that format a recipe. Um, and you can do more than two if you want. You could get down to third, do 20 or 30. But the, you set the bar really low. <laughs> two push-ups, flaws one, two, pour the glass of water. So you can always succeed on the habit in its tiny form. You can do more if you want, floss all your teeth, drink the glass of water, do 20 push-ups, but you don't have to. And if you do more, you count it as extra credit. And so it's this kind of unusual counterintuitive way of designing with the bar really low, but also making sure you have something that reminds you to do it. Like, where does it fit in my life? And that's the tiny habit recipe portion of it. Amazing. I, I love it. Folks, you have the book. I mean, and I am not, I know there's a lot of great books out there. I'm not a big, I'm not as big of a consumer as I should be, but this one is a keeper. And I, the, the, the countless stories that you shared, you know, so keep going, but the whole, the positivity part of it. I mean, I, I watched your Ted talk thing. I was just, I was crying on the floor. It was so great. Oh. <laughs> you were laughing, not laughing. Well, I was crying, laughing in like a really positive way. I was like, look at him go. And it was the whole room. I saw the whole room. They were all well, smiley. Well, what was funny about that Ted talk is they were having technical problems. So I was like, well, what can I do without slides? I jumped to the end of the talk, you know, cause you're not going to, the show must go on, you know, you learn that as a speaker, no matter what, you don't point to the technical problems, you just, the show must go on. And so that reordered, but the reordering of that turned out pretty good. So emotions matter in all of this, which I did, would not have expected in, you know, 2002, you know, when my book Persuasive Technology was published. Um, but what I learned in hacking my own behavior and then teaching people the tiny habits method well, and it came up like this. I'll tell you how it actually, the accident happened. And I'll just give the headline now. The headline, everybody, is emotions create habits, which is very different than the idea that repetition creates habits, but emotions. And so I have a chapter and I explain it. But it, I started learning about it during this hard time when I, you know, my life was not going well in 2010. And I did care about my tea. So the tiny habit recipe was after I brush, I will floss one tooth because I wanted to floss. I wasn't. Um, and then I remember, you know, during this hard time, flossing one tooth and I looked in the mirror and I said, victory, good for you, BJ. If everything else goes wrong today, if the wheels fall off, and that's probably literally how I thought about it and probably told myself, if everything goes, you know, down the toilet today, at least you got this one thing right good for you, victory. 
And when I did that, it was like, wow, something just happened. That was, hmm. so I did it again the next time, like Victor. And then I got more deliberate. And I realized that by cheering myself, and, and we call it celebration and tiny habits. It's, now we call it celebration. By self-reinforcing, by saying, good for you, by causing that positive emotion, that's what wired in the habit. That's what makes it more automatic. So as I explored that more and more, I came up with other ways to celebrate, not just victory and smile in the mirror, fist pump and say, way to go. Um, I'll talk to myself and say, good job, Beach. Uh, sometimes I'll do a little dance, whatever causes a positive emotion. Uh, even fast forward to today, when I you know, push myself on a wave and do something new and do it well, I go, woohoo. I know that sounds stupid, but that's a signal to myself like, you did it. Success. So for me, so the, the thing, the hack in tiny habits, if you want to wire in a habit quickly and easily, you get really good at celebrating. You get really good at self-reinforcing, whether it's a victory in the mirror with a smile or a woo or a way to go beach. There's at least a hundred ways. I list a hundred in the book. There's probably thousands of ways, but what you're doing from a technical perspective, you're self-reinforcing by up-regulating a positive emotion. And it's different for different people how you do it, but it's emotion that causes the chemical changes in the brain that then makes the behavior more automatic. So the better you are at celebrating at the moment you're doing the behavior immediately after, the faster you can wire in habits. And that's what it, and and then not only can you wire in habits, but the ability to upregulate that emotion on demand has these ripple effects in people's lives where they do it even when they didn't have a tiny habit recipe, like me surfing the wave. I didn't say, oh, after I do a sharp turn on the, you know, after I do this, I'll do this. It's just any behavior that you want to become more automatic, you can celebrate that behavior. In other words, you can cause yourself to feel a positive emotion to reinforce that behavior, self-reinforce that behavior so it becomes more automatic. The way I cut on the wave, um, you know, when I take my vitamins in the morning, uh, remembering and actually doing the flossing. It's so fabulous. And, you know, I'm sort of this very glass half full person. So I have a general that is sort of my energy is like, whoa. And I just realized listening to you, like in the brain, for me, it just gets, gets easier and easier, you know, because it's just something that you do and it feels great and good things happen. And so I do want listeners to really embrace this ability. I call this the being one of these being your best friend opportunities, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that to your point, I watched this, the, the one in Maui and you said, it's like, okay, do this. And then I say, I'm so awesome. <laughs> and then I watched the entire audience. They were looking at each other like, I'm so awesome. <laughs> it was, and it, it. they was loved moment. it. They totally loved it. I have a friend it. who still talks about that. I mean, um, you know, it, there is... Now, for some people listening, you're going to resonate and go, oh my gosh, I already do that. I get it. And so guess what? It's not an accident. You stumbled across this skill. It's benefited you. Keep going, turn up the volume, get even better. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there are people like, that's wacko. I would never do that. Okay. So there's a whole range of how, um, how natural this is for a person. If you're on the far end where you're very skeptical, 
give it a shot. I mean, yeah, you can read research and you can understand a dopamine release and how emotions, da, 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 but the easiest, fastest way is find a celebration that works for you and the book can help you and there's other resources to help you and, in fa- and try it. In fact, Molly, right now I'll give uh, one way to know what is your natural celebration is imagine you're watching a sports team play a game and your team's behind. Let's, say, let's make it football. You're, you're two points behind. And in the last second, your team kicks a field goal, gets three points, and wins. What do you do at that moment when you realize they won? You know, what is your reaction? Whatever you do in that moment is a natural celebration for you. So take that and use it deliberately to wire in habits. That's one way to discover a celebration that will be effective for you, that will bring up positive emotions and then cause the habit to wire in. Love, love, love it, love it. Okay, will you take folks through the formula, please? Yes, the behavior model formula. Yes. Okay, so tiny habits is one, it's a method, but it actually derives from the behavior model. So the behavior model is something where the pieces came together for me in 2007 and it goes like this. Behavior, oh, let me say this. Habit is a subset of behavior. Behavior is the big category. Within that, and I'm drawing a big circle with my hands, within that, there's a smaller circle that is habits, which are behaviors we do automatically. And then there are behaviors we do just one time, and there's behaviors we stop. Those are all subsets. Um, But the behavior model applies to all behavior types. Behavior happens when three things come together at the same moment. There's motivation to do the behavior, at least some. It can't be zero. There's the ability to do the behavior. It can't be impossible. And then there's a prompt. And the prompt is anything that says, do this behavior now. And if any one of those things is missing, the behavior won't happen. So a behavior won't happen if motivation is zero or if ability is zero. In other words, it's impossible. Or if you didn't get prompted. And it turns out that that model applies to all behaviors all people, all culture, all ages, the individual differences come in with what motivates people. That's different by ages and culture and uh, circumstance. The ability factors are different and the way you prompt is different. But B, and I write it out as B equals MAP. It's not technically an equation. Mm-hmm. It's a model. But that was uh, turned out to be the best way to represent it. So B equals MAP. And that then actually led to the tiny habits method because I was looking at my own model. And so the tiny habits method is derived from that fundamental model of behavior. And I call, so the, so the book is, so you could think of what's the, I said, tiny habits, the book is really behavior design, behavior designs, models, and methods. The primary model that I share and explain in the book is the fog behavior model B equals MAP. The primary method is the tiny habits method. Such clarity. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So when we think about say it skillfully, folks, right? So saying it skillfully, um, the behavior change. So rather than stay silent, let's just apply the models. Rather than stay silent, we want to speak up. So the motivation for some people could be, you know, I want you to be who you are, right? Or it could be that if you don't say it, the motivation is the team's not going to benefit from important information. The ability is about like this show and, and the videos and helping people 
have the skill to be able to say it in a way where they feel comfortable that it, they're not going to look bad and they're going to honor others. And a prompt could be a leader or teammate just asking or suggesting, hey, have we, we haven't heard from folks and you know, let's just make sure we're, we're hearing all the different voices. Is that a way that I might apply it to the say it yeah, socially? Yeah, and and even though it's just you know B equals MAP, there's so many ways you can. I think of it as playing. You can play with it and turn it around and so on. For example, sometimes all you need is a prompt. If somebody's already motivated and they already have the ability, then you don't have to motivate them or give them. You just have to say, "Do this now." For example, let's say I have some guests over. Uh, for a little dinner and I've cut up some papaya and it's there sitting on the plate. Well, my guests might have motivation to eat the papaya and they might have the ability to do it. They just pick it up and eat it. But they're waiting for me to say, hey, have some papaya. They're waiting for a prompt. Um, some, and, but sometimes it's ability that's lacking. So if you're motivated to do something and you're being prompted to do it over and over, let's say, let's say at this Let's say at this very moment, um, my mom is calling me, Molly, as you're talking to me. So I see on my phone, my mom's calling, my mom's calling. So I'm motivated to talk to my mom and I'm being prompted by my phone. But because I'm talking to you, I can't pick up the phone. So when you're being prompted to do something that you want to do, but you cannot, that's frustration, so mm-hmm. frustration is you're being prompted to do something you want to do, but you cannot. So notice, again, it's motivation, ability prompt, but in a different form. And so just keep playing around and using everybody. Use that way of thinking about your behavior and other people's behavior. And you'll see that some of these things like frustration that you could maybe define in a dictionary, now you can see it in these systematic terms. And you can see how to resolve something like frustration. Remove the prompt remove motivation, or if you want the behavior to happen, increase the ability. I'm going to say, hey, Molly, I got to take a little break here. <laughs> give me the ability. Give me five minutes to talk to my mom. So it just, it's super fun to be able to look at any behavior and analyze it. And then on the flip side, to design behaviors efficiently because you know what comprises what's a behavior and you know what the pieces need to be. That is super, super fabulous. <laughs> I love it. I love it more and more the more I learn. Okay, before we go to the Say It Skillfully question, I'm going to have you ask, can you just share with listeners some of the resources? And I'll also post those as well. Some of the places they might go. Uh, BJ, yes. for more information, please. So for Tiny Habits in particular, it's tinyhabits.com. Uh, for my work more generally, and there's a lot of stuff going in the tiny habit space. We have tiny habits for kids. We have a private network for parents and teachers to join. We're doing live coaching. There's there's a whole bunch of great stuff. We're expanding there. More generally, uh, if you want to learn about my work, it's bjfog.com. And the Tiny Habits book really is bringing together so, uh, so much of my research and hands-on uh, experience in a 300-page package. So that's, that's where it's really mostly brought together in the most accessible way. Fantastic. And that's like a Molly two thumbs up on that, folks, for sure. Okay. So uh, in the spirit of folks who seem to have like done it all at the top here, everyone has some challenges at times with conversations or situation, be they work or personal. So uh, BJ, what, um, what scenario or, or conversation might I 
give a hand with today, or at least try to. Oh, now do you want one that I was successful at or one that I'm worried about? Well, how about one that you're worried about so we can show ooh. that you actually have something you're ooh, worried about? Ooh, ooh. Okay. Um, oh, wow. Okay, let's do this. So my partner, Denny, and we've been together like 25 years. Uh, great, great guy. Uh, he's awesome. He's walking every day. And keeping, he's older than I am uh, by a little bit. And I'm really, really, really interested in keeping him healthy and active and optimistic and all of that. So he's doing great with, he walks in the morning, we swim in the ocean every evening, but I feel like he needs to do some strength training. And I'm not quite sure how to, you know, I kind of mentioned it before, but we haven't crossed the finish line there. He doesn't really have... A habit or even much of a desire to do strength training, you know, and I want the for the obvious reasons for his health, but also frankly for my well-being because I want us to be together as long as we possibly can be. So how do I have that conversation without making him feel bad, like making him feel like he's lesser than or he's not doing enough? Denny, he is he's very emotional. He's like an emotional antenna, <laughs> um, and he's. Oh, he's just nailing it in so many ways. So if I really wanted to go to an unsolved conversation, it's that one. How do I have that conversation? So what I want from that is either we'll hire a trainer who guides him or he just does a regular practice of strength training in the right way without hurting himself. So those are the pieces. Those are the pieces, Molly. I I'm so grateful you brought this up. We have this going on with a family member as well, uh, slightly older. So I really get this because it comes from a super place of love mm-hmm. and and there's a certain practical aspect to it. So, you know, not knowing Denny, I think some people are... Um, they'll listen to different people differently as we all do. So for example, a doctor might say something um, Mm -hmm. and versus like what I would say, and it might land a little differently. So I might consider the things to your motivation thing that would, that would really connect with for, for Denny. Right. And, and I'll just use an example. He really does respect his doctor. When she says do this, he's on board. Yes. Okay. So see, so that's a great thing because I think some conversations are just harder to have, even though they come from such a place of love. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think that must everyone's muscles are atrophying every single day, all of us, no matter what age you are. Right. So for everybody, it really applies. It just is hard for sometimes for folks to not feel like they're being singled out. Right. Mm-hmm. Even though practically speaking, you know, and I, and I have a situation where my father actually wasn't wearing a bike helmet and the doctor, you know, kind of did a small read the riot act and like instantaneously mm-hmm. done. So I might consider that. And then I think the, to, to your point, I think the, the positive parts of it, I mean, other people, um, group group activity, some people, like I like to work out, so it's not a big yeah. thing for me, but for some people, they like community. So if you start to explore, mm-hmm. you get the topic up and, you know, like maybe some people like Zumba classes or, or what have you. And so I, so I think it's a little bit of experimenting of what's starting to land for him. And then if, if the doctor might be away, to, yeah. to, to just kind of go right there. Great. And if you want to have it, I think, you know, you could say something of, you know, love you, 
want us to be like so strong together, you know, and I'm wondering how we both think we're doing in terms of our own activity and physical activity and what it means to us and not trying to go anywhere with it, but just ask, you know, what do we think about it? What do we like? We I'm, don't like I'm writing those words down. Is that, is that legit? Is that okay for me? <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering how we think about um, how we're doing with our physical. That's great. Yeah. So I could see not- me saying that I could, cause that's not threatening, but that's just opening the conversation. Absolutely. That is a seek it's- first to understand, right? Cause you're this genuine listeners have heard me, the skill of genuine curiosity. I'm really wondering without right. any, like I'm trying to make this happen or whatever, and just being there and being light about it because then we're getting information. You know, and I think Mm -hmm. that we've had situations, you know, with people like, okay, there's pain or there's things like that, that obviously, you know, come into play. And without knowing that, right, you can't design something that would work for someone. So, so um, I will stand posted to see how, how that goes. Great. That is, I'm going to use that. And I think that opens the discussion and, you know, knowing our relationship, I just simply have to listen and just firm and and the conversation will evolve i think in the in the direction that i want it to for sure yeah and it's a it's a it's a win-win my my pleasure thanks for raising up but it's a real win-win so i i i'm cheering for you and i think that that's you. you know that's just wonderful for both um so as we wrap down a few questions i i i have for you um and i think none of these are um you know, there's like, there's no wrong answer, but you know, in, hmm. in integrating your personal and your work life, I mean, you and Denny have been together, you've had this, you know, you've done so many things, BJ, I, I'm just curious, you know, what's been hard balancing and making both the personal and work fulfilling, um, you know, what's worked um, I, in, I just, in, in that way? I feel really, really fortunate. I work a lot. I work too much. That's been the problem. I've done better recently on that because I love, love, love what I do professionally. And it's so much of who I am. I mean, it's so much like the purpose of my life. And Denny has been super supportive. When we do the boot camps in person, which we did before COVID and we'll do after COVID, he does all the catering and logistics and he's a tremendous cook and he has a team and I do the teaching. So it's like this partnership and we love that so we do have this shared thing we create for professionals that we train in behavior design and that's wonderful but the question was what is challenging and and this is a little bit of a boring answer i think but it's just prioritizing and knowing when to say no and saying it and then just knowing of all these many 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 things i could be doing and people want me to do, where do I really put my energy and focus and attention and where do I not? And that is a source of pain for me every day because I prioritize every morning. And I don't really see that going away, but that's, that's, I struggle with that. I appreciate that. We, I think a lot of people are nodding their heads. And so you're just modeling for us that it's just something we have to keep plugging mm-hmm. away at. Um, BJ, what's the best compliment or kudos that you've received uh, so far? And I know there's been well, many. So if you can pick a best one. Well, the one that comes to mind right now is you saved my life. There was a lawyer... Um, that wrote me an email last week. Now I get emails every day about saying, oh, Tiny Habits really worked for me or my kid with ADHD really helped him and things like that. But it was just striking where the lawyer wrote and said, you saved my life, thank you. 
And that was it, Molly. He didn't explain other stuff. And I've had other emails like that. That's like, this is a total game changer. I was depressed and so on. But just something so direct and so clear. And, and at first I thought, well, this is a joke. Uh, he's going to fall on with something, right? And then I was like, no, he's serious. And he just wanted to let me know. And that feels good. I mean, it feels good when you've helped people be happier and healthier. But if you've changed the game so much for them that life went from not really worth living to worth living, that makes you feel really good. Wow, that is so, so, so wonderful. Um, you've been very generous today. I'm really, really appreciative. Um, from our chat, is there a top takeaway for you? You mean me giving uh, like a, a last kind of takeaway for people? It could be that, and it could be something that you're taking away just from hearing yourself talk about your, you know, well, I'll go with Amazing this. Well, life. I'll do both. Uh, the, the first one's pretty straightforward. There's two main principles in Tiny Habits and in my work. And if you don't buy the book, remember these two things. One, help yourself do what you already want to do. So whenever you look at a new project or especially a new habit, that's what I'm talking about mostly, is pick habits that you want. Don't pick the shoulds. Shoulds almost never become habits. So help yourself do what you already want to do. And there's more underneath that. It's like make those things easy and so on. Next, help yourself feel successful. So notice by lowering the bar to two counter push-ups, you're helping yourself feel successful because it was so easy to do. And plus you're reinforcing it with celebration. Um, and part of that is just be nice to yourself, everybody. Be compassionate. Um, don't so often, and I grew up in a culture, I think that was, I was really hard on myself and I did have high expectations and I always expected constant improvement. And I think that's not helpful at least not for me. And I think for many people just to, it's going to sound crazy, but lower your standards <laughs> or just be nice, be compassionate. So those two things. From this conversation, I think my takeaway, Molly, is how comfortable you made me feel. And I shared things I haven't shared before. And I was, you know, there's not a script I'm following or there's not answers to questions. But I just feel happy that you asked me these things in such a comfortable setting and that I was willing to give some answers that I hope help people in a way that feels fresh, but also very, very relevant to their lives. Uh, you have made my week month. I am so grateful for you. BJ. And, um, you know, I'm here for you. You're very inspiring to me. If I can be of any service to you in the slightest way, please don't hesitate. And um, I'm really grateful for your time. And, and I like to thank people for being part of the solution because there's someone out there helping the world be better, help people be better in it. And, um, and we, we want more and more and more of that. So thank you, my friend. Thank you. Ah, I love how BJ is understated and committed to serving and doing the most good in the world. He is a newfound hero for me. Uh, now, we have time for one scenario. And I had a LinkedIn connection from Nepal, and we'll call her Tia. And this was her scenario. What would you say, Molly? When you present something and someone attacks everything you said by saying you should have presented that which was beyond the scope of the task at hand. And she goes on, all were good points, but completely not what uh, we were assigned to do or that we had resources for. 
and the person is someone Tia respects. So how can I be uh, kind yet do justice to the work that my team has done to go into this uh, big presentation? Okay, first thought. You're in the moment, you can't believe this is going on. You're like, what, we did all this work and you're attacking me. So keep your poise, calm and collected, essential. People are watching, you know you're being watched, it, you're a bit rattled, it's understandable, understandable to be a bit rattled, don't let it get the best of you. The next part is a bit of the bite your tongue till it bleeds because it may be tempting to blurt out and defend and to tell the person, and, and obviously they didn't know, right? So we, that's clear to you. That is not necessarily the, the starting point and how you want to come across. So this is a breathing, and it may seem like it's a long time passing. Take a deep breath or two. Assume positive intent. Here's this person who is uh, sharing honestly their thoughts, and we want to acknowledge that. So here's how the conversation might go. First, thanks for sharing what you would have liked to have presented. Again, in earnest. Try to lose any edge that you might have. And then you can be very honest. From what you've just shared, I can see there's a bit of a disconnect. So you're introducing this new information. Now, rather than solve it, you're going to go into your curiosity meta skill. So you say, you know, I'm curious, what did you think the assignment was? Pause again, bite your lip. All you do is breathe. Listen what they have to say, engage, unpack what they're saying, acknowledge it. Say, well, I can see how that's a very important thing. Um, why do you think that it was an important issue? Get, go back and forth. What's important about it? Great. And then, and, I, and you can own this. I am not at all deflecting that this isn't a very important issue. I think this is where we had our signals crossed. The, the assignment our team received was X. Pause. Okay. And then really the issue and an opportunity you might say for the team, for all of us, obviously, you know, no one intended us to have a disconnect. So I might ask all of us, how do we address this kind of gap going forward so that we're in sync with the assignments that go out? And I can imagine folks listening, because I think we've all experienced where multiple bosses have different ideas of what the project is and what's supposed to happen, putting the staff kind of in a tough position. Right, And so rather than making us versus them, how do all of us come together so that people who have a stake in a project um, are able to chime in at the outset and gain clarity? Now, what you would really hope that the, the person who was um, being a bit critical does is say, you know what, thank you for clarifying. And I just want to thank the team for everything that you did. We would really hope that the person would do that so that the team doesn't feel like it was a total waste. If they don't, again, which I can understand is totally disappointing, it's an opportunity for you just to say, you know, I'm glad we're having this conversation. I do want to acknowledge the team uh, who went through quite a bit to get this done, and it's something we'll be able to leverage. So you go ahead and model it. It can be tempting to just kind of be quiet and stew. I can't believe we weren't acknowledged. And I would offer that that would be being part of the problem, be part of the solution, help show the appreciation to your team public and model, model what you would like for other folks to do. Okay, so hopefully, Tia, that helps and happy to chat more on that if, uh, if you'd like. 
And if you haven't yet, there is more help for you to say it skillfully on my website, sayitskillfully.com and sign up on my mailing list. You can have a chance for us to have a little one-on-one session, which would be super fun. And I will wrap with a thought for the week from BJ Fogg. When you know how to create tiny habits, you can change your life forever. Behavior change is a skill. You can improve if you practice, start tiny and celebrate in the moment. And that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Reflect on your top takeaways. And no, I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality, essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out SayItSkillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 